Episode 4 of the Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. This podcast was designed to discuss all aspects of first responder wellness and resilience, and today's guest, Olivia Mead, started a program to address this very thing. She created the nonprofit organization Yoga for First Responders with the intention of bringing the tools of yoga and mindfulness to first responders and military personnel. I think there's still a lot of misconceptions out there in particular with the first responder community about the practice of yoga. Olivia and I addressed this a little bit in our conversation, but the thing I want to make sure everyone knows is that yoga was designed with the intention of preparing warriors back in India for battle, both mentally and physically. And so the premise behind the practice of yoga is to enhance performance, process stress. And again, it's geared not just towards the physical aspect of it. That's just one very small piece of it, but also mentally preparing us. So really the whole premise behind the practice is perfectly aligned for the type of work that cops do and all first responders for that matter. We'll have an opportunity for you to check out the Cyber Academy and have access to all sorts of classes. And I'll discuss that with you here in just a little bit. I've known Olivia since 2016 first met her during the yoga for first responders train the trainer back in 2016 when I attended in Kansas City. I can attest firsthand to the benefits of the program. Not only do I practice yoga, but I've been teaching in particular yoga for first responders since that time to our recruits, to our officers, and all first responders in the community that I live in. And just like practicing any other tactical skill, this particular training really has the potential to save your life. Olivia and her team do great things, and I really enjoyed catching up with her and talking to her about the roots and the benefits of this program. So before we start, I just want to make you aware of a couple of really special offerings from YFFR exclusively to our podcast listeners. The first Resilient Women's Leaders Conference is coming up. This virtual event will take place on March 20th. Several women from various areas of the first responder profession will be speaking on the topic of resilience. I'm thrilled to be a part of the event and will be leading a short yoga session in between the classes. YFFR is also offering a special discount code if you want to attend. You'll receive 20% off of admission if you put in the code GUNS20, and I'll make sure this is included in the show notes. The event will be recorded, so if you can't come live, you'll still be able to access it. The second special offering for podcast listeners is if you want to try their Cyber Academy, their online platform where they have several different classes available if you want to try, um, if you enter the code at checkout, Guns and Yoga, you'll get half off of the monthly fee. So I really hope you take advantage of these opportunities and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome everyone. Today's guest is Olivia Mead. She is the founder and executive director of Yoga for First Responders. I have really been looking forward to this conversation, and if you don't already know about this program, you're in for a treat. It shouldn't come as a surprise that I'm a yoga practitioner and teacher, which has influenced the name of this podcast. Back in 2016, after completing my yoga teacher training, I met Olivia and went through her training. Olivia was an inspiration to me early on in my quest for personal healing, and how to best bring the tools of resilience to those at my agency through the practice of yoga. I know firsthand the benefits of this training, 
and the benefits of a regular yoga practice. The Yoga for First Responders mission is to provide first responders and military personnel with traditional yoga training that's culturally informed and job specific for the purpose of processing stress, building resilience, and enhancing performance. Olivia has written numerous, numerous articles in EMS World, Police One, Fire Rescue, and Tactical Edge. She and her team of trainers provide multiple train the trainer classes across the country each year at police academies, fire departments, and military bases. Yoga for First Responders launched their Cyber Academy last year, and it offers both a subscription and a free offering. Welcome to the podcast, Olivia. Hi, Wendy. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm very happy to have you on today. Um, this has been a long time coming, and, and everything I said is true. You've really inspired me and, and my journey um, personally and professionally on how to share the practice of yoga with, with first responders. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. So why don't we start uh, from the beginning? So you yourself did not have a first responder background, but here you are with this awesome program. So why don't you kind of tell us what, what your path was? Yeah, so I uh, started teaching yoga when I was about 21, uh, practicing yoga pretty much my entire life from when I was a little girl. My grandmother did yoga. My dad did yoga for his, uh, he was a professional golfer. And if anyone's ever played golf, they know it's a mental game more than anything else. So he knew right off the bat that practicing yoga was for the mental aspect. He would do a lot of breath work, a lot of reading. Um, about the philosophy of yoga. And so I was influenced by that. I would go to my grandmother's class, which I used to call old lady yoga, and I would be there doing the little stretches side to side, you know. So it's always been in my life. Um, when I was, I would say, a late teenager, started really practicing it um, a little bit more, you know, consistent, consistently like as a discipline. And at 21 years old, I uh, became an instructor. So. Um, I've been teaching for like several years. We'll say we'll just say it. 18 years. That's how old I am, everyone. Um, <laughs> but so I've been teaching for for quite a long time. The way that I was trained, uh, you know, in yoga to practice it and as an instructor was very traditional. Um, I went to India to study. I studied with very traditional masters here in the U.S. as well, and. What I was discovering was that original intention and practice and discipline of yoga was getting really lost in westernized branding and the trendiness of yoga. And that was irritating me because traditional yoga is a warrior's training. It is to train eliteness of the mind, of the body, of the nervous system to be above average, to, to, to shine yourself, to, you know, to, be, to just be working at optimal levels and thinking and performing at optimal levels of functioning. And instead, all of that was getting lost in exchange for cute yoga pants and a playlist. And the reason I bring those two things up specifically is I remember teaching at a yoga studio in Los Angeles, a very trendy studio in Beverly Hills. And they would get on my case about what I wore to make sure I was wearing cute booty shorts because it was a hot studio. And they would let me know if someone ever wrote a complaint about 
a song on my playlist. Those were the things they were concerned about, which I understand when you're running a business because yoga in the West is a business. It's a billion dollar industry. So those were the things that they were concerned about. And I remember in another studio, another example was a teacher who'd been teaching like one or two years, but who was like a staple in that studio was assigned to give me feedback on my class. And I had been teaching, you know, over 10 years already or whatever. And I was like, you're not, you're, you're more, here I am, someone highly educated in yoga. And by the way, highly educated in yoga still means scratching the surface of the, of the deep philosophy of it, but still highly educated, highly experienced in teaching. And you're not seeing any of that. You're just seeing what shorts I'm wearing, what uh, playlist, and by feedback, they wanted to make sure I was teaching, like, you know, using their language specifically, their branding specifically, instead of really the content of what I was teaching. You know, the, the concepts I was teaching, they didn't care about. They didn't care about the yoga. Let's just say the, the true yoga. They were running a business. Okay, so there was that sort of, uh, you know, irritating me. And then at the same time, I was like, where can I be free of this westernized branding of yoga that's killing it and where and to whom can i really teach the true authentic practice of yoga and what it's really for and um so so yes to to what to what demographic but and at the same time this was i guess i started to have this revelation around 2011 2012 and so at the same time, a lot started to come out about the um, suicides in the veteran population, military and veterans. And I always had a deep, um, you know, desire to serve my country and my community. And by serving your country and community doesn't mean joining the military. It, you can serve your country and community in many different ways. And since I didn't join the military, gosh, what can I do to serve? What can I do to serve? So I'm like, gosh, what if what's missing that's causing these damages in the, the veteran military communities from what I know about the original intention of yoga can, I don't want to use the word solved, but can be helped, can be supported um, by the skill set that yoga is teaching. So I wanted to match the two up. So I Googled yoga for veterans and guess what? Tons of stuff came up. There are a lot of yoga for veterans programs out there. Um, some I, I still am friendly with and, and work quite closely with. So I got trained on top of my other training to teach yoga to veterans with post-traumatic stress. And I did do that. I did that specifically. I would go into VAs, teach those um, with post-traumatic stress and was doing that. At the same time, um, some people found out what I was doing. I actually had some active military come to my yoga classes at a studio and really enjoyed working with them as well. So that was my thing, veterans and military. And I was living in LA and um, I, I think I was putting together, I was working for LA Yoga Magazine and I was putting together an event for them, for yoga and veterans and military. And I was talking about, you know, gosh, I wanna do this for it and that for it. And I was on the phone with my mom and a fire truck with sirens went by and I was like, hold on, fire truck. And then my mom was like, that actually makes me think like, why aren't you serving first responders? Because they're, you know, in military, someone might be in a military service for four years. They go and maybe they see combat and they come back and they have to reacclimate into civilian life. And that's where I was usually 
capturing the people to teach them yoga. And my mom was like, but first responders are in a career, typically career, 30 years. They go out into quote unquote daily combat, sometimes real combat, and then have to come back to their families right away. So it's not like deployment where you're there, you're doing your, your deployment, and then you come back and have to work on the reacclimation. But it's day in, day out, back and forth. And I was this huge light bulb. You know, have you ever heard of the, the sort of thing that happens in the brain that when something significant happens in your life, even if it seems small, but it's later significant, you remember every detail about where you are and the weather and all that sort of stuff. And that's exactly how it felt. I remember exactly what street I was on, exactly the time of day that, because it was this huge light bulb. And I think maybe even right then and there on my phone, I found the email address for someone at Los Angeles Fire Department. And I wrote him an email saying, I love to teach yoga. I already teach veterans and military and I want to teach you guys. And it was just like a shot in the dark. And um, I got an email back and I, I got an email from the right person. It was the head of uh, psychology and their behavioral health. He was already a fan of yoga. Um, but of course, his biggest concern was buy-in. How are you going to get these big firefighters to do yoga? Um, and I said, well, give me a shot because I've already taught vets and military. And he did. And it worked. And here I am. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so that's kind of the shortish, longest story of, of, you know, I found, I loved teaching first responders. It grew and revived, you know, and evolved from there, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but I really found, um, you know, I really found my niche with that and, and found a home teaching them. Well, first of all, kudos to your mom for giving you that, that great idea. And then also to you, because our first responder culture, I know firefighters probably aren't that much different than cops. Um, for you to have the courage to just reach out to somebody and say, hey, I want to teach you guys yoga is, is something that I don't think a lot of yoga teachers would have the courage to do. So, so good for you, first of all. And, you know, going back to how you talked about um, your, your yoga class and your hot yoga studio, I mean, guilty as charged for me on that. I mean, when I, when I first started practicing yoga, uh, just probably like a lot of people, it was really to get back into shape after having my kids when I was about 40 years old. And I went to a hot yoga studio. Everybody wore Lululemon pants. Um, everyone looked a certain way. And, and, and I started to also wear Lululemon pants and, and, and like that look. But after I started practicing, I quickly kind of realized that there was a lot of benefits to the practice once I even left the mat at work and, and just in my home life. And kind of similar to you, I did the same thing a few years later. It didn't click right away. I Googled actually cops and yoga and there wasn't anything except for you yoga for first responders came up well it's funny Wendy because I forgot to mention the little mic drop thing I always talk about when I talk about the story is that uh, before I wrote to Los Angeles Fire Department I googled yoga for first responders like I had googled yoga for veterans and unlike yoga for veterans there was nothing so that's why I knew I had to invent it myself but yeah so uh, exactly so you found us. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was back in 2015. I started thinking, man, this is really helpful for me personally. And how can I share the tools of yoga with the people I work with? And you, it wasn't, wasn't easy to find either, by the way, but, but I found you and 
I think you and I even had a phone conversation and then I decided I'm going to this training and, Mm -hmm. and I did. So, um, I'm also a believer. Um, and this, this wasn't always the case with me and my yoga practice, but I am now a believer that when you apply ancient philosophy, whether it be yogic philosophy, I also, uh, I'm a student of stoicism, things like that, those ancient wisdom practices can be so helpful and beneficial to our modern day first responders and our police. And you touched upon that just a little bit um, about how yoga was started in India and the intention was to, to prepare warriors for battle. And I think it's important that you teach that because a lot of people don't understand. And I think with, with our culture, um, knowing that having that, that information and the original intention that you mentioned behind the practice I think that's huge. I think that's great that you take the time to to spell that out in your training. Yeah. Those um those ancients, it's funny cuz in our household we study stoicism as well. In fact, the first conversation I had with my now husband was when he was my student as a firefighter and he actually asked me like these yoga philosophies you're teaching, they sound very similar to stoicism, which is what I, you know, I study and I was like, yeah, they really are. Um What's great about them is that they're universal truths that are also valid now, even though they're from so many years ago, it's in ancient times, they're still valid. In fact, um, in Marcus Aurelius's um, meditations, he talks about one of them is how difficult it is to get out of bed in the morning. And isn't that how we feel today often, (laughs) you know? So you, you can take those, the simplicity of those philosophies, apply it, and yoga is the practice of those philosophies. So it's one thing to read quotes, it's one thing to read a book, but yoga is how you actually practice them and train yourself to live by them. Absolutely. And, and I like how, and I, I know you'll probably get to this later when we talk about your actual training, but I know I personally appreciated um, the deep dive into the philosophy during a portion of the training that you guys provide. Yeah. No, that's important to us as well that our, um, our instructors know that this is coming. This is not made up by Olivia, you know, like the approach is something that I've created based on my experience. Oh, this will work this way. This will work that way. Um, but the foundational philosophy is all traditional yoga. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one, one question I have about your trainer since we're on this topic is you have a pretty elaborate group of trainers now. So back, back in uh, 2015, 2016, you had some great trainers. And I still remember to this day, something that Jeff Master said, uh, talking about the issues in your tissues. And I will never forget him saying that. Um, but, but how did you decide or how did you find the people that are a part of your training staff? Because you've done a really good job vetting them. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, and our trainer cadre has evolved even more since you've, since you've been to our training, of course. And um, I, I guess I see, I see them. I see them, their work, and I identify that they are speaking our language and they could uh, really bring something. So I created the structure of the training. This is, I want Eastern science. I want Western science. I want breaking down the protocol. I want how to continue your own practice while teaching others. So I created the structure of all the modules I wanted within the instructor school. 
And then um, I either teach it or I find the, I have found the people that are experts in that field and bring them in. And what we have done since your instructor school, um, which was class 002, and now we're about to do class 015, um, is that what it used to look like, it's funny because I only had a yoga background in terms of my training. And so especially westernized kind of yoga training is kind of this mishmash of teachers coming in and teaching you a module on anatomy or teaching you this or teaching you that. But we really wanted to create, so we, in 2018, we had an instructional designer come in and totally redesign the training so that it was a real through line. It wasn't like, okay, here's a class on Eastern science of yoga, learn that. Great. Okay. And it's interesting, but it's like, it's compartmentalized with the rest of our training. So we've really evolved it to be this through line that everything is leading to one goal. So if we're talking about the Eastern and Western science of yoga, why does that influence the way we teach yoga? And what, why do you need to know those things in order to teach the demographic we're serving? And it's not because you're going to be regurgitating all the scientific information, but you're going to teach differently if you know the why behind it. And we do encourage you to share the why with your students, but you don't have to do a breakdown of how the brain and the vagus nerve work. But if you know that there's something going on, you're going to be more passionate about teaching breathwork, for instance. So this is a really good example. Breathwork, speaking of guns and yoga, the biggest connection there, which is something that was a, another huge light bulb to me, um, when I did firearms training, was the breathwork that snipers are taught, the breathwork that you're taught on the, you know, out on the range is the same breathwork we're working on in yoga. But it's hard to teach it while you have a firearm in your hand. And there's, your, there's the recoil, there's the bang, bang, there's all that stuff going on, right? Why don't we train for the training? Get your breath work down first. Get the, uh, you know, the neuromuscular efficiency of shooting positions down first with breath work. Then when you go out on the range, you're already a master on those things. You don't have to simultaneously try to train them while you're trying to train your accuracy and everything else. Um, so the, the breath work is a huge, you know, a huge foundation of what we do. And if you don't, if we don't teach our instructors why that's true, breath work is such a subtle practice that you will stop doing it. You'll forget. You'll, we won't teach it to your instructors. You'll make it all about touching your toes. Whereas I don't care if you teach one down dog. I would rather you teach tactical breath work. So. Um, I think all the elements we teach in instructor school are extremely important, and it's important for me to ha to be surrounded by experts and to have all their voices be heard and influence um, our instructors as they're learning. That that sounds great. I'd love to actually come through again. Maybe when when you're in our area, I'll I'll sit through again. I think you sounds, should. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I will definitely. Because a lot of times people think, and I, I, I was guilty of this myself, is they think yoga is only about the physical poses. Right. They don't realize, and which, of course, you guys cover this in the training, they don't realize that there's actually eight limbs of yoga, and it's much more than, than just the physical part. Like you said, the breath work and the mindfulness and meditation aspect and much more. So I think it's important that you, that you take the time to do that and how you apply it to, to job performance and how this is going to yeah. make you do your job better. 
Yeah. And the physical aspect isn't even like, it's not even to master the physical aspect. The physical aspect is the tool to master something bigger, you know, and we're going to do it through this portal of the physical body. And are there ben- like side benefits of that, of where you have increased functional movement and mobility and strengthening small stabilizing muscles to protect your joints from injuries. Yes. And all that stuff is beneficial from yoga. And will we take it? Yeah, we'll take it too, but it's not like the goal. Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Cause I think this, this article warrants mentioning, and I think you wrote it a long time ago, but um, it's one of my favorites. Cause it's so simple. Um, it's the police one article where you talk about the five reasons cops should do yoga. And, and you may have updated yeah. it since then, but, and, and I don't know if you want to just go into that because for people that are listening that have never heard of yoga for first responders, I want them to know why this program is so beneficial. And even if their agency isn't able to bring it to them, you guys have a lot of resources out there for free that people can can go to. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind just touching upon that. Yeah. So there's a lot of research and evidence-based, you know, uh, all of our practices are evidence-based. And so a couple of examples are they're showing that the, the tactical breath work is influencing heart rate variability. And there's an article in research on, heart, on increased heart rate variability, improving police performance. And there's also research that yoga improves heart rate variability. So there's like connection number one, right? Um, so it, it helps, you know, yoga is also shown to grow gray matter in your prefrontal cortex and fire up the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is extremely important um, for making decisions under stress. So when stress happens, your prefrontal cortex shuts down because it's a slow moving part of your brain. You need the amygdala, which is the fast reactive part of your brain. But because it's fast and reactive, it doesn't mean the amygdala is always right. And so you may be doing something that your amygdala says is right for your own survival. And then turns out you misconstrued something because your prefrontal cortex wasn't, wasn't working with the amygdala. So by practicing yoga, you're also firing up, strengthening, sharpening the saw of your prefrontal cortex so it can work with your amygdala. Um, There's also, I I don't know if you've heard of flow, which we had talked about in instructor school, also called in the zone, in the pocket, which sometimes people know it by. Um, That's also a skill that's susceptible to training. And yoga has been labeled as um, one of the tools to improve flow. And flow is going to put you in your optimal level of performance. Um, and there was something I was just thinking of, and maybe it'll come back to me about uh, the flow aspect. Oh, yes. So yoga has been labeled by neuroscientists as applied neuroscience. So it's not just this woo-woo thing on the side anymore that, you know, your, your neighbor does. I mean, it's like an actual tactical training tool that has evidence-based, you know, practices behind it. Um, So, and then I think I list in that um, same article that I think the last thing I bullet point, if I remember, is it's time, right? It's time. And I list a few statistics there. So there is a missing skill set in law enforcement training, not just law enforcement, all public safety training. Uh, We did a poll recently in an online conference I did. And it was for dispatchers, but I asked the same question to SWAT operators and firefighters and recently police officers got the same exact 
almost verbatim response. So in this poll, and when I asked the questions, I said, how much of your job is mental? How much would you say is, um, is mental? And they, almost everyone says 90%. And they said, okay, how much training did you get for the mental aspect of your job? And I'll get about 10%, 3%, even nothing. And I'm talking about real training. I'm not talking about a suggestion. I'm not talking about a one-hour class on self-care and resilience where they say, don't forget to go read a book and spend time with your family. Okay, those are nice suggestions. But there is a huge educational gap between what's required for the job on a mental neurological level and the training that public safety receives for that mental and neurological side. There's a lot of training for short-term urgent tactical skills, and that's great. But if you are not out in the field working because you're at home on disability, whether it's mental or physical disability, what's the use of those short-term tactical skills anyway? You're not going to use them. So we need to think about this long-term survivability to keep you out there doing the things that you love to do. So when you go through the academy, you learn those basic skills, right? You learn driving, you learn cuffing, you learn laws, regulations. But we're being told now that resilience is so important. Well, officer safety and wellness. There are huge conferences on it. People are writing books on it, right? There's podcasts about it. Great, great, great. Well, if it's so important, then how come it's not in the academy in the same way that all those other basic skills are? How come people aren't being qualified to regulate their nervous system like there's qualifications for firearms and for everything else? Because you can't. With HRV um, software, which we use, we use the software which is tracking biofeedback, you can see how fast someone can regulate their own system to a coherent state. We have used that software to show that the techniques we use in Yoga for First Responders can bring someone to a coherent state in less than three minutes. I've done it over and over and over again with cops, with firefighters, with dispatchers. It shows the exact same thing. So, um, you know, so there is a way to qualify someone that they can't graduate until they can regulate themselves under three minutes. Why aren't we doing that? You know, and so the fact that I say it's time is like everything's lined up. You want evidence? We got it. You want the practices? We got it. You want buy-in? I've spent the last seven and a half years of my life knowing exactly what to say and do to get people to buy in. So how come it's, and listen, like we said before we started recording, it's the times are a changing. People are more accepting of it, and that's awesome. But when is there going to be a huge chunk of budget allocated to people getting trained in this, to get retrained in it, recertified every single year until it's a staple like everything else? I mean, it's kind of like fires me up because it's so easy to do. We're just not doing it. And until we do it, those statistics are not going to go down the way we want them to go down. And by statistics, I mean post-traumatic stress, sleep disorders, um, community complaints, citizen complaints are up for people who have sleep disorders. You know, so there, there are ways we can, we know we have the tools to address each and every one of these issues. Yeah, check, check, and check. Um, so first of all, I love your passion. Um, I, I, I picked up on it when I first met you. Um, and it still stands true today. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. 
Um, I do think we still have a long way to go, but like you said, I think we're making progress slowly but surely. But but agencies need to put their money where their mouths are. Uh, and I, I just have to do a plug right now for the agency I currently work at. They they added my entire position, which is wellness coordinator, and I am able to teach yoga for first responders in the academy to the recruits. We're going to be adding more trainers because I think people really find value in this. And I can tell you that personally, and I know you know this, I have had numerous people who I have taught this now hundreds of 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 officers and first responders say to me that the tactical breathwork self-regulation technique that was taught to them saved them many, many times or helped them fall asleep or they hadn't slept better. Uh, what, whatever, what, there were so many different situations, but one, one in particular really stands out. All I did was, was walk them through a group of people during a meeting, a three-part breath. It wasn't even during a yoga class. Nobody was in, they were in their work clothes. And two weeks later, one of the people that was in that particular class, a supervisor, was in a car chase and a shooting. And he later told me, he said, I remembered what you taught us that day. And I did it because it was fresh in my mind. And it helped me get through that particular situation. I was able to make a better decision and, and get through it effectively. So, yeah. so everything you said, passion, don't, and don't ever let up on that passion because you are a rock star. Well, thanks. And, and I, I do hear that a lot. I do hear when people do apply what we teach them. And that's makes me just have to get up and do it again the next day. Right. And, and listen, slowly but surely. And, and I think like, yes, I am very familiar with your agency because of us working with them. And they are super kind people and super supportive of this, too. And I think, uh, you know, we we do work with some great supportive agencies, which are which is awesome. And the next level for me that I would love to see is, okay, it's not just once a week. It's every day in roll call. It's, you know, three times a week. It's required. It's this. It's sort of that next level of um, implementation. So, okay, great. We have support now. We're e- their agencies are more easy to work with. They understand the importance. But it's still on this, like, dipping the toe in level instead of, all in. And listen, I understand everyone's fighting for budget money. I get that. I know government money is limited. I totally understand. But I also know that it is out there. <laughs> it's just reallocating a few things, right? So that um so that we can have officers and firefighters that are you know, not even like long-term survivability, but dare I say um happy? And like enjoying their life and thriving and enjoying, you know, why do you think we always, you know, I know first responders always have that uh, cynical point of view because unfortunately they're seeing everyone on a really bad day. And um, so I see that. But I also think that that cynicism comes from perhaps not getting the proactive um, training to sustain themselves that they require. So um, I'm always looking for the next level, Wendy. I'm like, okay, good. Now you like it. Great. Now let's go to the next level. <laughs> you know? Yes. And it's, it is, it is, it is a painfully slow process. Um, but, but I couldn't agree more, um, it, introducing it and holding classes, uh, even just once a week or even every other week, it, it's helpful, but it, it's, it can be so much more impactful. I, I agree. So what do you say besides what you've already said? to agency leaders or the people who, who, you know, are in charge of the budgets, 
what do you say to them when it comes to this kind of stuff? Because I know that you probably meet resistance when they, when, when you're asked, well, how much does this cost? Yeah. So, um, as a nonprofit, we work really hard on, um, sponsorship and we're, we're still working hard on making it where we want it to be, but, um, fundraising and all that sort of stuff, because we have never said no to a department because of budgetary concerns ever. I mean, we've like, we literally will hold a fundraiser for a specific program. We'll, you know, or our teachers say, okay, I'll start off by volunteering. The reason that we try not to let our instructors volunteer too much is because it's not sustainable. That's really beautiful part of your heart. But um, if I want you teaching yoga at the fire department three times a week, I want you there three times a week all in. I don't want you to say, oh, I can't go because of this happening. I have to pick up my parents from the airport. Because as a volunteer, you could, I mean, even if you signed up saying like, yes, I'll be committed. As a volunteer, if we're not paying you, you know, we don't really have a leg to stand on. So it's important for me because A, also, I do believe yoga instructors, for some people, it is a career, not just like a side fun thing like it is for me <laughs> right now. And um, I think yoga instructors should be paid for their time. I want to pay my instructors because, like I said before, I want their commitment. I want them to feel valuable. And I want them for the long haul, not just for a couple weeks until they get burned out on volunteering, you know. So um, I do want to pay my instructors, but sometimes they are willing to say, okay, I'll do the first month volunteer until we can get the fundraising up, right? Um, so we've never denied a department, so that's one. Um, we do a sliding scale as well. So if they do have some part of their budget, then we can, you know, meet the rest of it. Our uh, the cost of our services are extremely painfully low <laughs> to begin with to make it work, but even then, um, we still do what we can to cover it, you know, budget wise. Um, but my husband, who is a retired firefighter, he wrote an article for Fire Rescue One, I think. Yeah. And his whole article was a, a challenge to chiefs to allocate 5% of their budget to, uh, to this work. And having been in somewhat of, you know, he was a company officer, so he was in somewhat of a leadership position where he was given, allocated some money for basically whatever he needed. Does, he need, does the crew need this? Does this, you know, he had up to a certain amount that he didn't have to ask about. Well, that amount of money, is more than we ask for in a year for not the cost of the yoga classes, but just our small cost to have YFFR support your program, right? So it's like, if you can give the lieutenant a debit card for whatever they want, you know, then why can't we allocate some of that to, to yoga classes? So putting up that challenge as well. Um, and, but a lot of it, we're trying to get just fundraising and sponsorship and stuff so that, cause, cause my goal, Wendy was never to charge a department. We never charge individual first responders by the way, ever. Um, but I never, I wasn't like, I'm going to make it big by charging police departments for this. They don't have the money. I knew that, you know, and I, and I never, that was never the goal, but we have to until we get a big enough sponsor to cover it. So if anyone from Ford or Dodge or anyone is listening right now and you want to cover our program, we would never have to charge a police department or fire department again. You know, and that's the goal is that we get some company 
to sponsor us in a way that all of our costs are covered so that we just say to departments, here's a six-week program, here's an instructor already paid for for your entire academy or for the next five years or whatever, um, because I don't want to keep talking to chiefs about their budget. It's a pain in the butt. I don't want to do it. I just want to say, here's our gift, you know? So one day. Yes, definitely have goals for sure. But you did, you did make me think you were talking about the teachers. So, um, and I think this could have changed a little bit since I've gone through the training, but for instance, when I started and I went through yoga for first responders, the agency that I worked for at the time, the Wichita police department, which I'm now retired from paid for me to go. And um, so I was able to come back and deliver that training for several more years um, as part of my job. And that, yes, correct. Yeah. And, but there's not a lot, it doesn't always work that way. Is that, it's my understanding that you still have some people who are yoga teachers in the community that go through yoga for first responders and they, they, they have some sort of an in or they, they approach agencies and they teach that way. Yep. So it, that's exactly right. Those are the two avenues. So our instructor schools are a mixed bag of first responders and civilians. Anyone can come to YFR instructor school. There's no prerequisite. You don't have to be a YFR 200 hour, or I'm sorry, a Y, a 200 hour yoga teacher, RYT um, teacher. Um, in fact, I prefer that you not be sometimes because then I don't have to have you unlearn a bunch of information that's not correct, you know? So I like clean slates. Um, so if they come from their department, paid for by their department, um, and to come back and teach as part of their job, that's great. And that happens quite a bit and it's totally wonderful. And that we do not have that additional pay to the instructor because they're already being paid by their agency. So that I think is great for agencies in terms of their own budget, uh, because they don't need to pay for each individual class and the instructor for the individual class because their instructor is already an employee. So that's very helpful to their budget. But that isn't always the case. We do have civilians, yoga teachers, just like I was, wanting to serve, wanting to teach first responders. Sometimes they come to our instructor school because they do have an opportunity and they don't know what the heck to do. Um, they're scared about it and they want to be prepared. Some come because they've heard of our organization and they know that they're going to be successful if they're trained by us. Um, or uh, not only be successful in their teaching, but if they want to bring us in in an agreement with the agency so that we're working with the agency. And that kind of helps the sustainability of the program for different reasons I can get into. Um, and some may have no connection at all. They just really want to get trained in this and hopefully to get a connection later. And we train our uh, civilians how to reach out to departments and who to reach out to and how to get those connections to do that. So if you're bringing an outside person, like I said, we do um, want to uh, pay that instructor um, if they're a civilian. Okay. Yeah. Um, it seems as if um, we, ha we had a yoga teacher in our community here in Wichita that went through the yoga for first responders training. And, you know, she did it just for the reasons that you mentioned earlier. She herself isn't a first responder, but she wanted to, to serve. She wanted to give back. Um, but, but it is challenging because, um, she deserves to get paid and, and sometimes that's where people get hung up. Um, if you don't already work there, um, and this isn't something you're donating your time to do, at least that's what the way it was before. I think we may slowly be changing 
Um, but do, do you find overall, or I don't even know if you can answer it, it may depend, which avenue is more successful, having an outside person come in or somebody who's already embedded in the agency? It's funny you said that, Wendy, because we're actually, we have a research and data director right now who does um, data summaries of our programs, which is really exciting. And I can share more on that later because it's really showing some cool success and effectiveness. But her new task for 2021 is to take all our programs and our instructors and programs and come see who their, what their demographic is. So see who's coming through our instructor school and who finds the most success. Are they first responders? Are they civilians? Are they first responders in their own agency or first responders teaching for another agency? You know, are, do they have a spouse as a first responder or are they a completely standalone, you know, no connection? So we're trying to figure that out so we can really kind of target the demographic that's having the most success and make sure those people come through instructor school. I will say this. I obviously am not a first responder, so it was always an outside person. And I've taught for, I would say, hundreds of agencies across the country, either in my own town as a consistent instructor in the academy or flown out for in-service trainings or what have you. The feedback that I get often, and this isn't always the case, but sometimes and it depends on the culture of the agency too. People sometimes don't want to listen to their colleague. Don't tell me something, Joe, that you think you're better than me. You think you're going to teach me something, right? There's that little bit of like, I'm not listening to Joe talk about yoga. I don't need, you know, that. They want the outside expert. They'll all sit down and shut up if there's an outside expert that's not part of their, you know, circle there. And then they'll, they'll listen to that person. And I've kind of found that to be true for me, that there isn't, uh, there isn't any competition with me. You know, I'm sort of a clean slate coming in. Now, we just were, uh, did an instructor school at San Joaquin County Sheriff in, um, in California that at least with the captain we work with, who's a YFFR instructor, and the team that he brought in to get trained as instructors, um, while we were at instructor school, they still had some work to do. There were still some SWAT callouts and other things. They already started teaching their teams this work in the middle of instructor school. They're like, let me teach you this breath work I just did. And because of the culture of their agency and especially the culture that captain has put in place, everyone's into it. Everyone's eating it up and really excited to learn because they all, there's that mutual respect for each other. So I think it's going to depend on the culture of the agency. We have six really successful programs in St. Louis with, the fi- with tons of fire departments there. And all three of those teachers are outside civilian instructors mm-hmm. and they all get paid and they all get paid by a big, um, health. Oh gosh. I don't even know what it is. It's a, it's a, a health agency for all the departments. And I'm not really sure everything that they cover, but it's their health and wellness for all these group of departments. And they paid the annual fee for YFFR support. And then each department pays for the individual classes they want. So they sort of took some of the fees away from them. But all our instructors get paid. They're all outside civilians. And it's also really successful there too. So, you know, gosh, it, I, I feel like our research and diet director is going to come back like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, after she collects this information. Because from just anecdotally, it just seems like the culture of the city and the department. Because gosh, Wendy, Here's another thing I want to kind of say. I always like to say this when I'm on a podcast because I think it's so important. The number one thing I've seen, and again, 
I've been had the fortunate ability to work with a lot of leaders in a lot of agencies or different parts of this country. The one through line of the most success with YFFR, whether it's a full-on weekly program or a one-time in-service, is support from leadership. I have seen our program and given its best shot at an agency and not do well because of one or two people in leadership positions that were not just indifferent, but literally spoke down to their recruits doing yoga because they didn't understand. They, they didn't do, we have leadership briefings now recorded and I do them in person to educate leadership on what we're doing and why. And we didn't get that done for this agency. And it was bad news because each time I walked in, the people, the, the command staff didn't want to see a yoga teacher there because they had no idea what we were really doing. And when I started talking about breath work and how it could help tactical performance, I was told, don't talk about that. We don't want you to, we just, we just want you to teach a safe space to stretch. That's it. You know, I hate that word stretch. Because I do not, know that. It's, it's not what we're, <laughs> this person said it, right? And so I'm like, man, but then in other places where the leadership briefing, you know, like tomorrow, I'm actually doing a leadership briefing for a police department here in Colorado um, to get everyone ready to launch their program and get everyone on board for that. And that is so crucial. And when that's in place, the program is typically successful. So all it is is educating your fellow command staff, even if they're not doing the yoga, this is why we're doing it. It's evidence-based. Be encouraging, you know, and let's change the culture. So that I would say is that whether it's a civilian teacher, a first responder teacher, in or out of the agency, doesn't matter as long as everyone's on the same page of bringing it in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, it reminds me of just so many other things when it comes to leadership. Just the agency I work at now with the position I'm in, just we just uh, started a peer support team. And that the support for peer support for mental health and wellness has to come from the top. It can't just it can't be bottom up. It can't be even just middle level. Um, and so fortunately, we've got we've got some great leadership at the agency I'm at that they're really, really behind this sort of thing. And we've got several uh, colonels and captains that participate in yoga, at least once COVID restrictions lift right now, it's just for the recruits. But mm -hmm. but I couldn't agree more. Because um, if you are expecting the people that work for your agency to take these classes and you yourself uh, talking out of one side of your mouth or saying that and then on the other that you would never do it, um, it, it isn't going to work. And, and, and another thing that I think is really helpful in your training is, well, two things. First of all, picking the right people to be your, to be your trainers. I, I don't think that this is the sort of thing where you can volunteer somebody to go to YFFR training. Mm -hmm. um, they have to want to do it. And I know a lot of times um, people work in the academy or their defense tactics instructors. And, and that's great because as you talk about in the training, there's a lot of crossover in the skills that we learn in the academy and YFFR. But, um, but if you don't have the right people in, as trainers, I think that can really hurt, hurt the rollout of the program as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that cultural shift and it has to absolutely has to start at the top. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was working 
for Denver Sheriff Academy before COVID happened. And the captain that was there at the time, he since retired, was took every single class with the recruits. And he made all the other academy instructors take the class. I mean, that is just it's, it's such a strong um, message to send. And um, I think it's stuff like that that's really going to because I can do the best I can in making the curriculum and training the instructors. But if there isn't that, uh, well, we need to embed it in the fabric of everything else happening in that agency. You know, like you mentioned something earlier about, you know, you don't have to, it's not even in a yoga class teaching the three-part breath, right? That's what we always preach is that, you know, you're going, you, you're going to the gym to lift heavy things. So maybe you can lift heavy things in, in your job, right? Or you can use that skill outside. So you might go to the yoga mat to put in the, the bulk of the training, but then the purpose of it is to take it off of the yoga mat and do breath work in your patrol car, move your spine when you're at your desk purposely. I did, um, I was doing zoom classes for another, uh, um, department of public safety here in Colorado. And I had a fire department and the cop on, it was great doing it for DPS because it's everybody, you know, and one of the cops was doing it at his, in his cubicle at his desk. And it was funny because you could tell when someone would walk by because they would say something snarky and he'd kind of laugh and he would keep doing his yoga. So he was in slacks and a sweater doing his yoga in his cubicle. So don't tell me that you don't have the space that you don't have that. You know what I mean? Like it's not meant for on a yoga mat. It's meant for everywhere else in put it in roll call, put it like for Seattle Police Department especially when they're going through the really hard times in the spring um, with all the riots and, and everything, they actually asked us if I would create a five-minute roll call video and a five-minute after-shift self-regulation video because the days were really running into, running into each other, you know, for them. And those videos kind of broke up their day, like beginning of shift, end of shift, you know? And so you can really implement it that way and not just say, okay, I don't have time for a 60-minute yoga class, so that's what yoga is. And so I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to do yoga. You don't ever have to touch a yoga mat to do yoga. I'm really glad you said that because a lot of times people think that if they can't go to a 45 or a 60 minute yoga class, that, that they just don't have time. Mm -hmm. And you just demonstrated that that's not the case at all, that you can, you can do it in just a few minutes. And as a matter of fact, I think you talk about in the training that it just takes three minutes even less to, to kind of just to, to reset your nervous system. Yep, exactly. And so that's what we should be focusing on is consistent training. Um, you know, even if you just get in those three minutes, like yesterday I do, um, I do something on the YFFR community group. So yoga for first responders community is our Facebook group for anyone and everyone who supports us. And I didn't get my own yoga practice in. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it you know, I do a message every Monday, just a little whatever I want to talk about. Because as we mentioned before we started recording too, this was started as just me. And now we have a 16 person team. I'm CEO. So there are many channels to get through before you get to me, you know, so I don't get to see the people. I don't get to see my instructors. I don't get to see them as much as I used to when we were a smaller group. So the Monday message is for people to see my face and to know what I'm thinking that week. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a yoga practice with them. I'm going to teach them a series on live video and we're going to do it together. And we just did it for, I think it was like 15 minutes total. 
And great, I got my practice in and that's all you need. And I felt different afterwards. And that's what I always remind myself is, man, just 10 minutes, I definitely feel different than I did before. Yeah. And people just need to try it one time to understand it. That's, that's what I have found when I've, when I've talked to people and said, just, just try it one time. It's typically, that's all they need is just to experience it themselves. And because of that, you know, earlier you said they can't be voluntold. They have to want to do it. The other side of that is the first time they need to be mandated to do it because once they're mandated to do it and they experience it, then they'll want to do it first. Right. So, um, I definitely think if we can get some somehow mandatory in there first and then come as you can after that, we get a lot more success in people wanting to come and do it. Yeah. It's funny you say that because you just reminded me of a time a few years ago, I taught our SWAT team and there was probably a lot of resistance from, from some of the members. And then probably the biggest proponent of YFFR, even to this day, this person wants to go through your training. Uh, was the person who was, was, you know, kicking and screaming the most. So. Oh yeah, I know. I found that's so funny, Wendy. I find the exact same thing is the people who give me the hardest time before they know about it are always kind of like, you know, into it the most too. SWAT operators, I really find understand what we're doing and probably um, because they really see the connection between what we're teaching and tactical performance. And also if someone is a SWAT operator, it means that they want to be above average. And so they are looking for any and every tool to make them better and make them elite. And so if you say it's yoga, they'll be like, great, I'll do it. Whatever's going to make me better at what I do. And uh, we uh, have collaborated with the National Tactical Officers Association. And, you know, we just work really well with that demographic. Yeah. And I can see, I can see why. Uh, I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to tell everybody about the training because um, how it's designed, if somebody wants to go to a training, how can they do that? How can you bring it to your agency? And then also the different types of training. What I mean by that is you teach fire, you teach law enforcement, you teach corrections. So, and, and how do those different trainings vary depending on the, the audience? Well, I'll start with that one first um, and I'll differentiate just for the audience. Um, so we have our instructor school. So instructor school is to become a YFFR instructor. And then the second question I think you're asking is when we actually deliver the classes and the program within the department, right? So the biggest thing is that what we teach is job specific and culturally informed. So job specific is how we differentiate the, how we deliver the message to the specific audience. So I'm going to be teaching a different class for dispatchers than the SWAT operators. I would say probably 90% of it's the same because it's the same concepts. All the concepts of yoga don't change. And so all of that's the same. But then how they apply it is going to be different, how they apply those concepts. So, um, you know, for SWAT operators, since uh, physicality is not a job requirement of, of theirs, we often find this is not always true. But we often find that they're not interested in doing, you know, more of the hardcore challenging physical stuff or challenge levels are different. So we talk about in YFFR, which we got from um, flow, research on flow, is that you really um, enhance your performance and improve if you're constantly training 4% out of your skill level. So if you're, if the challenge is more than 4%, you get discouraged. If the challenge is less than 4%, 
um, you're bored. So it's like just holding that carrot in front of someone. So a 4% challenge for a dispatcher, again, I'm generalizing, but this is what I've shown seen to be true, might be hovering in a chair pose above their chair while they do eight breaths and then exhale and sit back down and do their regulation breath work, which might be in for three and out for five. Because hovering above their chair in a chair position, which is hard for anyone actually, um, is activating. So what we're teaching in YFFR is to train your nervous system to activate and regulate, activate and regulate. A lot of people think yoga is just regulation, just the down regulation, and it's not. It's actually a healthy nervous system is training how to be with high stress and regulate. If you can't be in high stress effectively and safely, you do not have a well-trained nervous system. So if you're chilling out all the time, that's not a well-trained nervous system. It has to be able to go up and down. That's also getting into heart rate variability and why increase of heart rate variability is important because it's that dance between activation and regulation. That's a lot of science I don't want to get into, but if anyone's interested, Google heart rate variability. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, so we'll activate someone by having them hover above a chair, sit back down. Um, you know, another thing for dispatchers would be ways to process stress. They don't get a lot of resolution to or any resolution to the calls that they take, right? They, you know, it's done and they don't know what happened after that. So process, how to process stress, um, whether it's using the physical aspect, the breath work technique, the mindfulness technique. Um, for firefighters, uh, their lifeline is how much air is in their tank. And so to be able to train breath work has shown to increase uh, CO2 tolerance. And when you have an increase of CO2 in your system, when you bring in O2, it's more effective, meaning the O2 moves from the hemoglobin to the tissues. When you have low CO2 in the body, you'll take a giant breath in and the O2 comes in, but never moves from the hemoglobin to the tissues. And so the body thinks there's no oxygen. So what does it do? It tries to get more. <gasps> And it's not getting to the tissue. So what does it do? Tries to get more, <gasps> tries to get more. <gasps> and then all of a sudden that's hyperventilation. But if you have a high amount of CO2, O2 is more effective, which means in turn, you could actually make your air tank last longer and which we've anecdotally seen in our students because we have them practice after several weeks in um, bunker gear and with their SCBA. So they can really see the monitoring of their breath work and how that helps. So I'll focus a lot on that. Um, law enforcement, we have a, um, a whole in-service training. We're actually turning into a weekend retreat. And I don't think I'm supposed to actually announce this yet, but oh well. Um, <laughs> I'll ask for forgiveness later. Is um, We're doing a whole weekend retreat in partnership with Full Spectrum Warrior. And it's based on an in-service training, an all-day in-service training that I used to do called Yoga for Combat Performance. We're changing it to Yoga for Tactical Performance. Um, and it shows how yoga specifically can um, be applied to firearms training and to other tactical performance in terms of neuromuscular, neuromuscular efficiency, um, biomechanics of, of, you know, how your body's working in awkward shooting positions, breath work, accuracy, making decisions under stress, and regulating afterwards. Because you may have a lot of fun on that firearms range, and that's great, but you're still in an activated state, and you still have to train yourself to regulate. 
So these are just some examples that will take a job-specific application and show how the yoga training can apply to your job specifically. So that's how they might look different in departments. Generally, like I said, if you're doing an intro, probably 90% of it's going to be the same information. And then we'll tag on specifics to that, to that um, demographic within that presentation. Now, for instructor school, where we're training people to go out and instruct YFFR, um, we have two levels, level one and level two. Level one's three days, and that's where you're learning. Oh, I should actually say three levels because we have foundations training. Foundations training is an eight-hour online course you take before you come to the in-person training. But you can't take that unless you've signed up for in-person training. So it kind of bleeds in with level one a little bit. So foundations training, level one is in person, um, three days training, and that's where you learn the, the basics of the protocol, the science behind the protocol, why we implement it as part of our protocol, and how to teach it for every element of our protocol. And by every element, I mean the mental discipline aspect, which is the basics, tactical breath work, physical drills, neuro reset. Neuro reset is our word for mindfulness or meditation. Um, and then we also use uh, a cognitive behavioral technique uh, called mental reframing. So we use, uh, we originally started calling them cognitive declarations. We also call them anchor phrases or performance phrases or something like that now, because sometimes cognitive declarations is a little bit above where someone wants to think <laughs> using, the, using that phrase. So you can um, shorten it to CD or say a performance phrase or an anchor phrase, which I got from our good friends, uh, Rick George and Dave Gillespie, who wrote um, Firefighter Resilience. I feel like I'm not saying the correct name of their book. It's back there, but it's something developing firefighter resilience. There it is. Um, okay. Yeah. I'll make sure that I get the book titles. I already have notes okay, on the articles cool. yeah. I want links to. <laughs> yeah. So that's another part of our protocol is mentally reframing a situation actually changes how you perform under pressure. So we break down the science behind each one of those things, why we do it, how to teach it. And then there's a shitload of practice teaching, like way more than even your training now, because we took eight hours of the training and put it online. We filled that eight hours with like just nonstop practice teaching to get people new to teaching yoga comfortable with it not only teaching the mat classes, but one of the biggest things we're asked for is our, our presentations, in-service presentations, not just mat classes. And so we actually have people practice teach with a clicker and a slide, a slide deck, you know, a PowerPoint teaching and presenting. Because like in our last um, training we did with Chicago Police Department, some people had never held a clicker and clicked through PowerPoints before. And so people do get hung up on that. So we give them an opportunity to translate this information um, and practice standing and do it on their feet. We have pre-built curriculum for every for all our instructors. Um, so for the academy, for in-service training, for leadership briefing. So if you're asked to do a YFR in-service, um, we ask you how long is it, what's the demographic you're teaching, and then we will tailor our basic um, presentation to what, what that need is. Um, so we set up our instructors because Unlike a 200-hour training, which again, I'm generalizing, but they'll take your money, teach you 200 hours, and then bye, you, you know, never, like we'll never talk to you again. But we are a huge part of our culture and YFFR is supporting our instructors. 
And so we have a whole, we, we just set our 2025 long-term goals and our long-term goal is to create a fully, like, like a really amazing platform to support our instructors more than we even have now. So you'll be set up with a point of contact within YFFR that's your point of contact. And, um, you know, you always have curriculum that you need and we have ways to connect with each other. And so we're always trying to make sure our instructors feel empowered to teach this work. Wow. So much, so much good stuff. I was taking notes so I didn't forget to, to comment or ask certain questions. But, but first thing I want to make sure that the listeners know, you obviously um, are extremely knowledgeable about the first responder culture and what goes into not only what you have to do on the job, but, but the training. So I want to make sure people understand what you personally went through to become culturally informed. So oh, yeah. you could touch upon that. Yeah, it's funny because I think about my sis was, you know, five years ago or more. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know if I could do that today. <laughs> but uh, so when I, so I was teaching in a fire, the first fire academy I ever taught in and the first police academy I ever taught in, both asked if I wanted to go through the training with the recruits. And I said, yes. And um, so I did that. So I was in full SCBA, full bunker gear, fighting fire. I went through that fire academy. I attended classes in the police academy, all to the extent that I was approved to do so. And that's how I learned the most, because what blew my mind the most was not only the, what the job entails, which I already had a huge amount of respect for, so it only endorsed my respect for that, um, but what was mind-blowing and I didn't expect going through that training was how much overlap the other classes and skills have to do had to do with yoga like the you know i remember the defensive uh, tactics class i took the first before we got out on the mats was a lecture and the first thing he was talking about was basically breath work and mindfulness like you have to be mindful of your own body and space and your own breath if you're going to assess someone else's breath someone else's body movements um, and the body movements could give you the signal if a fight is coming and you have to be aware of that. And I'm like, okay, he just said mindfulness. He just said awareness. He just said breath work. He just said how your body's positioned. Cause one of the huge things I teach in yoga is how I want to know exactly how your body is placed in space. Like you need to know that you need to know where each finger is. You don't think that's important. Well, I see those same people, same recruits on my yoga mat who can't who don't, who have no brain to body communication. Do you think it gets better in defensive tactics? It gets worse because they have even more stress than they have in the yoga class. So do you think all of a sudden they get better at that? You know, so, I mean, I even had one DT instructor say to me during training there, they just, this one guy, I oh, several people, not just one guy, but whenever he was not getting his arms in the correct position, he was putting them out, making himself vulnerable, putting them up here. And he was like, can you help with that? Can you help them get their like stance ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, I actually can, you know? So I'm, so I said, okay, I'm going to emphasize knowing where your body is in space more during my classes. So now that's part of the academy curriculum. So, cause we know they're going to be learning that same thing in their defensive tactics class. We want them to hear it in multiple spots. Um, and it's been quite a while, you know, like I said, five years since both and again, with the fire academy, learning to breathe on air, um, the 
you know, claustrophobia of not being able to see and being in this huge amount of gear. Like you have to get your mind and breath right. Um, you have to be able to move your body smoothly, you know, to be in these awkward working positions. So all of that stuff I found to be true firsthand. No one told me. Uh, I learned. And then when I would say this is, I would talk to a police officer or firefighter and say, this is what I discovered going through this training. And they'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely. So they were affirming what I learned um, because of their career. And since then, I would try to I would try to jump in certain classes in the academy too, and, and academies after that. I'd be like, I haven't taken DT for a while. Can I jump in a few of these classes, um, which I love doing. And also, I just found it was interesting too that with my background in yoga, there were some things that I thought I would be terrible at, especially if I was working with cops who needed to, to get their refresher or whatever. Like, I'm going to be so terrible at this. There was one thing I learned at uh, the Alita conference, but lo and behold, because I've been working for so many years on my mind, body, and breath connection, I nailed it. I mean, I was nailing these drills and at Alita, there was, um, what's her last name? First name was Diane or Diana, but she taught, um, she taught a defensive tactics four hours, four hour workshop. But she specifically came, she does a lot of stuff with knives, but she, um, she came at it. She, it's a, um, kind of a sort of a martial arts called Kali, K-A-L-I. And I don't know much about it. If anyone else does and is hearing this, I only had this four hour workshop, but you kind of, you have sticks and you have tools, right? And I was like, I even told her, I was like, I just want to observe. It's been a few years since I've done this, you know, any sort of DT work. And I just want to like, she's like, nope, you're getting in it. Right. But the, because I know how to move and breathe, I was not losing my breath and I was like killing it, you know, with the coordination I had. And, and I was like, there's gotta be a reason for that. There's gotta be a reason. Same thing with firearms in the academy. So when we first did firearms, everyone couldn't even like load the magazine because we were so like nervous, you know? And so, you know, just, just that aspect. And then I also noticed that a lot of people were leaning back you know, they were leaning back this way or they um, they were looking down at their holster when they were trying to unholster, even though they were told multiple times to do it, to not do that. And I was never having those issues because you tell me once my brain tells my body and I know how to do it because of years of yoga. You know, it's not because I'm any better or any different. But when we all start at the same level, because I had this yoga training, my breath, my body my focus was all had been trained, had been trained for years. So when you say to me, okay, proprioception is a big one that we train. So when you say to me, you know, visualize it, unholster your weapon, bring it to your chest, punch out. It's just like, to me, it's like inhale, lift the leg, exhale, bring it forward, inhale, arms up, high lunge. To me, it's the same thing. You know, I just grabbed it, inhale, exhale, done, you know, and then bring it back and then ready. I mean, I was just like, I was doing like a yoga series. And so somehow I was kind of really good at that. Now, let me say this for anyone listening. There's no way I could be a police officer. And that is what that academy taught me is that I had not built for it. Um, and so I'm not saying that. I just mean like there was some things I didn't struggle with. And, I, and it's because of my yoga training. I know it has to be. Yeah, I, I know for me personally, my yoga practice has helped me in so many different areas of my life. Yeah. Um, and one of my 
favorite takeaways or quotes, I use it anytime I teach, I think, um, is that situational awareness starts with self-awareness because um, that's a term that everybody in their training from day one, practically, we hear about having good situational awareness, good officer safety. So really just tying that together, like why it's so important to pay attention to what's going on and being introspective, how that can benefit you, especially in the day and age of you know, we're talking about duty to intervene and noticing your triggers and and what that amygdala hijack can do. And like you said earlier, how that can lead to community complaints and people getting in trouble. It all goes back to all the basics of what we teach in yoga for first responders. Absolutely. So, you know, yoga teaches self-awareness. Self-awareness leads to situational awareness, not in a, not in a hypervigilant way, you know? And so you're absolutely right. It's all connected. And I think Hopefully everyone's starting to see that now. And so they can take yoga as a serious training tool. Yeah, that's my hope as well. So uh, it, just wrapping up a little bit, I wanted to just touch upon one thing that you talked about. And I will have to pick your brain a little bit more about that retreat that you, you dropped, Mike dropped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I, I really love how you are supporting your teachers. Because I think the hardest part about going through even if it's not a yoga training, a lot of times, even with law enforcement, you go through a train the trainer and it's like, okay, here you go, go teach it and take the PowerPoint or take this and, and you're done and there's no after support. Um, so I really like how you're even, you guys do such a good job of that anyway, but I, I think it's, you're taking, it sounds like you're even taking it a step further um, from what, from what you alluded to. Yeah. So we have goals, we have big goals, but um, mm-hmm. I do want to create, um, so I, there's a lot I suggest to my instructors, like watch this or do this, or we have a, a Google folder, which is our digital toolkit. And I throw in uh, videos and articles and links and leave it to them if they want to, to research more. Um, but we're going to put actual required continuing education in place um, to keep your active YFFR certification. I think and, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's important because we also want, we want to keep our reputation high. and you know, we want to feel good about our instructors. We want to know that we, you know, trust that they know they feel good about it and know what's going on. And we can also tell our agencies that we do that so the agency can feel confident, um, whether it's an internal instructor or an outside instructor. Like even if it's someone who's teaching for their own agency, you know, I still would hope that they would feel good that they're, you know, that the investment they made is getting an upkeep, you know? And so that's one of the, the things, because we just launched our, our course, online course platform, YFR University. It's launched privately now for in-service training, but we're going to launch it publicly, um, hopefully this year, at the end of the year, or if not sooner. Um, and uh, so that's also going to be a portal for instructors to have continuing education courses on there. Well, wow, that's that's awesome. And and really what you're talking about is no different than any other defense tactic skill who anyone who's a trainer, if they're teaching taser or another discipline, there's a, a requirement with a lot of that stuff where you, every two years you've got to go back and get recertified. Right. And then, of course, law enforcement, we've got to get 40 continuing education hours every year. So having YFFR instructors do something like that is you know, well, and as, for the course. as you can see, we're trying to mirror that culture and everything YFFR does is trying to mirror the culture. So people get it, you know, uh, but it's funny because you put the word yoga with something and all of a sudden they think it's a, 
free-for-all commune love fest or something, you know? They don't understand that true yoga was absolutely built on discipline. Um, so, yeah, you know, so some stuff that we put in place that's more structured, we've gotten a little pushback on. And, but I, I'm staying pretty grounded in my belief that that's the only way um, we'll be successful. And, and I think that's a good plan. That, that sounds very exciting. And I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, a, I'm so happy to be a part of it. Yeah, um, I, we're happy. You're one of our longest instructors because we have probably one, one of your oldest too. <laughs> I don't know about that. We have some grandmothers out there <laughs> killing it, but we, uh, we do have someone from uh, the very first training. She still teaches in Canada. COVID kind of, I think COVID had her pause too. So hopefully we can rev that back up. But you're class 002 and we keep, and I'm really excited to have you, you know, see it again because I think you'll be, I kind of want to show it off to you. I think you'll be very impressed by how we've evolved. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I will be. <laughs> I'm always impressed by YFFR. <laughs> so uh, just a couple things before we wrap up. Um, if you had to recommend one book to somebody, and I know this is going to be really, really hard for you because you're just like me. Uh, you like to read, and a lot of what you've talked about, I've read. Um, one, maybe two books, like somebody who's interested in, in things that you've been talking about, the research, the neuroscience behind yoga. What would be a good book for somebody to pick up who, who's I just starting say, out? Well, this I just have to say is I am writing the YFFR book. So Finally, <laughs> yes. It is being written. <laughs> I need to go, like, excuse myself to a cabin for, like, two weeks and just... Sure focus on it to actually get it done. But uh, I have a few people wanting that done. So working on that. But until that happens, and when that happens still, a couple of books I'd recommend. Um, one's The Upside of Stress, Kelly McGonigal. And that really shows why and how the mind is important and how the neurological system is affected by stress. And it really, it quotes tons and tons of research studies on really how your mind determines whether you're going to come out with post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth, um, which is a huge basis. And I, I'm sure she mentions, she's a yoga teacher too, and I'm sure she mentions, um, mentions it in there. You can look up her TED Talk as well. Another one, which is kind of new in the last year in my portfolio is, um, or my bookshelf, I should say, is The Neuroscience of Leadership. So this is by doc, Dr. Tara Swart, is one of the three authors. And the reason I recommend it is it's not, it's as the name implies, it's about leadership and what happens in the brain for good leaders and this and that. But the reason I recommend it is almost every chapter touches on what we talk about with YFFR. It's what affects the brain and the nervous system for high performance. They, they, could, they could substitute leadership with anything, with just perf high performance in general. And the concepts are the same. And, they, and almost you'll see multiple times why yoga is applied neuroscience. Yoga, like they talk about introception. So introception, knowing what's happening in your body is a marker for how you're going to respond to things. So if you, so on the yoga mat, you need to know where's my breath right now. Where's my focus of my eyes? You need to monitor that then. And when you train interoception, um, you know, and, and proprioception as well, they, they're, they label yoga as a way of training interoception and proprioception. And when you have interoception, 
you are better at what you do. You're better at social interactions. You're better at emotional responses. All these things that are benefits of interoception is exactly what a police officer needs. And they label yoga as the training tool for it. So it's not very long, you know, it's not very intense. And I recommend that one as well. So I think those two would be huge. And again, there are tons and tons, but that one, if you really want the science behind what we do, I think those two books would be good. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, I've, I've definitely read Upside of Stress, um, even show the TED Talk and some of the trainings I do, but I have not heard of the second one. So I've yeah. just written that down and I'll add that. Yeah, to I just Amazon discovered it part. this year. And I was like, my husband, Eric, and I were, were reading it at the same time, but he was like a chapter ahead of me. So he would like be like, oh, and then I would get to that spot and look at him and be like, oh my God. Like it was just, it was so much. <laughs> it was so much like, you know, connection there. Awesome. I'd, I'd love to check it out. So just last, I'd like to talk about something completely unrelated to yoga for first responders. <laughs> um, you and your husband, Eric, have, have started making candles. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Let's which add when something I, else to the list of the stuff we do. Because <laughs> you don't have enough to do. Right. But, but when I first saw that, I was like, wow, what, where did this come from? But but if you don't mind just just sharing a little bit of your own personal story of of resilience and some of the things you you've shared with the community to help support you. Yeah, absolutely. And where this does connect, I'll say, is that the training I've done probably influenced my response and reaction to what happened to us. So, we've been trying for 2 years with, through IVF in vitro fertilization to have children. And um, we've had, you know, if anyone's gone through this, everyone knows it's never a straight line. It's always a, a roller coaster. And we've had three rounds of IVF, one failed transfer, um, and then one transfer that was successful, a successful pregnancy, and then I miscarried at eight weeks. And so if you're also familiar with any fertility treatment or IVF, you will know that it's a small fortune every round. I mean, about anywhere between fifteen and $20,000 for each round. Um, so through financing, through help from parents, we were able to do those three rounds. And then, so not only is a miscarriage extremely painful itself, but then imagine a miscarriage and $40,000 getting flushed down the toilet at the mm -hmm. same time. You know, it kind of adds insult to injury too when you have to pay to have a baby and other people don't have to pay to have a baby, it's, it's layered. It's a lot. Um, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And so we aren't giving up. We want to keep trying. We're going to do another round of IVF and we're like, where are we going to pay for this? And, um, my husband, Eric was for fun making candles in the kitchen. And a friend of mine said, Oh, look at this one company. This woman started selling blankets to pay for her IVF. And so I turned to Eric, I was like, what if we sold those candles you're making? Cause we just were doing them for ourselves. But we're like, what if we made a lot and you, we sold them? And we had not been public about going through this journey. I was, maybe I was embarrassed um, or didn't wanna, I don't know. I kind of think I was embarrassed. I think there's a lot of stigma around fertility struggles and miscarriage. Even though I saw a quote recently and it said, it's, too common to ignore, but also too personal to make like commonplace mm -hmm. or, you know, if that mm -hmm. makes sense, like it's such sure. a personal hurtful thing that you feel like you need to hide. But then the statistics are so high for 
fertility struggles and miscarriage that it should be as common as scraping your knee, you know, when you fall, like it's, but it's, but it's not, you know, so, but we never shared our story. And so finally I was like, well, if we're going to sell these candles in order to pay for our IVF, we've got to be open about why we're doing it. So we went on Facebook live and we told our friends and family, I mean, my extended, my parents knew, but my extended family, aunts and uncles and cousins who I'm close with, no one knew that we've been struggling like this for two years through heartbreak and surgeries and everything. And so we told everyone, this is right before Christmas on National Candle Day, and we got enough supplies to make 50 candles. And I just like was praying that we would, we would, um, you know, sell 50 candles by Christmas because I got Christmas scents. But before the live video was done, we had sold 50 candles. And we just finished, we just crossed the 400, 400th order, but we've, we're almost to 700 candles that we've sold, um, so far. And so it's working really well. And our hope is that once our family's complete, we'll keep this business going and then do grants for other families to, for their IVF journey. So, um, so the reason like the, the resilience and stuff comes into play is what I notice because I follow a lot of fertility conception IVF platforms on social media um, through the candle platform, which is called Flickr Mill Candles. And um, a lot of it, everyone responds to stress and trauma differently. And I just want to say that. But I did notice that although I've hurt, I've cried, I've yelled, it's unfair. I've all, I've gone through that. Predominantly, I'm of a growth mindset around this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to be a more patient and wise mother um, that, you know, I'm growing in this way. I've, I, I went into my yoga practice. I, and, you know, again, it wasn't all like that, but it was predominantly that way because I proactively trained for stress. And I've been doing it for so long that I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, I'm about to face the day. And facing the day is hard right now because I don't want to go teach yoga to cops. I want to go cry in my bed because I wish I was pregnant right now. And I was, and I lost my baby, you know? So how am I going to get out of bed and how am I going to do this? Well, we talked about anchor phrases, right? I know that if I move my body, I process stress hormones out and I actually lower cortisol levels just by moving my body. Okay. So I'm going to do that. Even if it's just moving back and forth, right? I know that if I make my exhale longer than my inhale, I'll be able to focus my brain. Okay. I'll do that. I'm going to repeat to myself, I'm okay, I'm healthy, I'm okay, I'm healthy while I'm in the shower. I used everything I learned from my yoga practice so that I could not only be functional, but then I had that what we call the gamma spike because that's when, what happens in your brain when you're in flow of the candle idea. Oh my gosh, let's start this candle company. Let's do this. Let's tell our friends. Let's, let's take away the stigma. I was able to take something painful and traumatic and turn it into growth which is exactly what we're trying to teach first responders is stress and trauma will be part of your career. So just accept it. I can't take that away. What we can teach you is how to use that to grow your nervous system and strengthen it rather than deplete it. So I took everything that I'm teaching and applying it. I had no idea I would have an opportunity to apply it to my own life so soon. Wow. Well, thank you for, for sharing that um, because you're absolutely right. I mean, 
I personally wish that I would have had the tools of yoga so much earlier in my life because I look back at certain times um, that I've gone through that would have been very, very helpful. Um, so I think it's just beautiful how you explained how your yoga practice helped and is cons- consistently and continually helping you get, get through this. And I have no doubt with the support of your family and your, you have such a supportive community that, um, that you, you guys are going to be parents. There, there's no doubt. Thank you. And that's what, that's what I hope too. And I always imagine myself with a baby strapped to me while I'm teaching my firefighters and cops. And I hope to see that come to fruition. Yeah. And, and it will, it, it absolutely will. So any, any last words or things that, that you want to make sure that the audience knows or that we didn't talk about, we talked about a whole lot, but is there anything, anything that we need to, well, to mention? Gosh, I would just say if someone's listening and saying like, great, I love it all. What do I do? What do I do right now? <laughs> you know, um, I, I do want to mention our app called Cyber Academy. So you can look on the app store. You can search YFFR or Cyber Academy or go to our website. And on our website at the top, it says Cyber Academy. And um, there are free resources there. So there's about, I would say, maybe 15 free videos and audio. We have almost a hundred um, different ones on there, and it is, um, you know, the full the full library is a subscription, and that subscription there is a first responder discount. So send us a quick email. If you're a first responder, we'll give you a discount code because I don't have one right now. I should have thought about this earlier, mm-hmm. and maybe before you post this, I will get you a discount code, and you can put it in notes. How about that? <laughs> that that'll work. Okay, <laughs> so we'll get a discount code. In fact, why don't we just say it's this, okay? We're just going to say guns and yoga. That's going to be the discount code to get Cyber Academy, the full platform, all the entire library for $4 a month. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, so less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Um, so, but before, you know, before that, if you're not sure yet, look at all the free material on there. Um, there's the, a couple start here videos, teach you the basic breath work. There's a daily 20 minute yoga video you can do on there. So that's what I would say is start now with that for yourself. Like I said, the online course platform will be launched soon. It's called YFR university. And then if you want more, like if you're like, I want this for my agency, uh, you can email programs at yoga for or info at yoga for and they'll get you to the right place. Um, but I think you have to start with yourself first. So hop on that app and, and start learning, learning some techniques. Yeah. There's a lot of good ways to, to, to be exposed to YFFR. So that I'm glad you shared that. And then the one thing you talked about already is the Monday message. Anyone, as long as they like the Facebook page and I think answer a few questions, anybody can can watch your Facebook live video, right? Yeah. So we have uh, the Facebook platform, Yoga for First Responders, Instagram, Yoga for First Responders, LinkedIn, Yoga for First Responders, Twitter, same thing. But um, the Facebook group um, is Yoga for First Responders Community. And when you join that group, there, like you said, there are a couple questions that just says like, how are you affiliated with YFFR? It's just to keep out the weirdos. That's why we do that. <laughs> so you can just say, I'm a cop and I heard you on the podcast, you know, and great. We'll let you in. Um, and then, yeah, we have instructors posting, first responders posting. I do a Monday message live in there. Um, so yeah, so that's a good way to stay connected to the community as well. And seeing other first responders that are into this and new too, just like anyone who might be new joining it. 
Yeah, it is really neat because I, you know, obviously don't, I've only, I haven't seen you in a really long time and it's kind of cool to be able to connect to you and see your face, even though I can't always do it live. Yeah. Um, but I can watch it at some point and be like, oh yeah, there's Olivia. She's yeah. doing her thing. This so is what awesome. I'm doing or a, I, that's where I could mention also a book that I'm, that I'm, you know, reading. I'll mention it in there too. So just a way to, like you said, just to connect to, to my community. Yeah. And one last thing I'll say, and then we will definitely wrap it up, is that I love how you guys are just partnering with so many different other um, platforms. So our agency is is getting ready to roll out the Portico app, yeah. the mental health and wellness yeah. app. And I love it because I've already got it on my phone. But um, before the podcast, I just wanted to confirm I knew it was on there, but I, I tapped on yoga for first responders. And there's about I think about 15, is that right? About 15 different classes on there. I can't could remember be. how many we made for them, but yeah. Um, yeah. So we partnered with Cortico, uh, which is a great partnership and they, um, gosh, I, I'm, I'm going to pause cause I don't know if that's public. <laughs> I'm giving all this information. I shouldn't, but this other cool thing, cool thing. Um, but yeah, they're just awesome is what I'll say. They're awesome. And we are happy to supply yoga videos for their health and wellness app, which tons of agencies are using now, which is really exciting. And um, partnering with Fire Department Coffee. So they're supplying all the coffee for our instructor schools and uh, Crackle Magazine, that's health and wellness for firefighters, um, publishing some stuff about, about us on that. So we're trying to do all these, oh, the, um, you know, the, I'm going to say it wrong, but the firefighters like health and wellness or behavioral health Alliance, that's it. So for firefighters, we partnered with them. So tons of great partnerships to, to just help further this and to change the culture. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Olivia. Thank you for everything that you do for first responders, their families, this community. Um, it, it really means a lot. And we, we love your enthusiasm. I love your passion and don't let up. And I cannot wait to read the book. Yes. Yes. Me too. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. This was fun. Yes, it was. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Olivia Mead. And now you have a really good understanding of yoga for first responders and how this practice, this type of training can really benefit you in your life and in your job. Just a reminder of two really great opportunities that Yoga for First Responders is offering our podcast listeners exclusively. The Resilient Women's Leaders Conference is coming up on March 20th, and if you would like admission, you get 20% off as a podcast listener. And that code is GUNS20 and will be included in the show notes. Second, access to Yoga for First Responders online platform, Cyber Academy. If you enter the code GUNS and YOGA at checkout, you'll receive half off of the monthly fee. There'll be some other links included in the show notes that Olivia and I discussed during our conversation. Take care and thanks for listening. So